grateful that you're here today. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. That's where we're going to be together in just a moment. Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> and we'll start reading in verse 27 when we get there. Uh, I want to just again say if you're a guest this morning, we're grateful that you're here with us. Uh, we, we hope that you'll stick around after worship and allow us a chance to visit with you and get to know you a little better. Uh, I want to also just ask you, Mike mentioned that we have some groups out this morning. I want to ask you just to be praying for their safe return home. Uh, I think the last count was about 30 or so students and adults went to Houston for a youth conference this weekend to Soul Link, and they'll return this afternoon about 4 o'clock. So uh, be praying for them. The updates that we've received, uh, those of us who have kids or some people have spouses and uh, family on that trip, uh, the reports we've received have been great, and we're excited that they've had a great weekend uh, looking forward to their return. Also, the, the group that went to Mexico uh, on Wednesday is returning when, this Wednesday, and so be praying for their return, uh, safe return as well. One final thing I want to mention, just uh, as another reminder, I've been sending emails about this. I know it's been in the bulletin, but um, I don't want to oversell this or overemphasize it necessarily, but I also want to really strongly encourage you uh, to be here next Sunday. Um, there is, it's going to be... I, I the part that I don't want to oversell is to say it's the most important Sunday, but it's definitely one of the most important Sundays that we've had here at the Kaufman Church of Christ in a long time. Uh, I know the elders and I are re- really excited about some things that we're going to share, a uh, we, vision we believe God has given us for our future, um, and, and we're going to reflect together on what God has done in our past and, and look ahead together, and I want to encourage you to be here. If you're going to be out of town and there's any way you can get back uh, Saturday night, do it because you're not going to want to miss uh, the time we're going to share together. And so uh, it's going to be a great day uh, together as we dream and imagine about our future together and try to lean into what we believe God is calling us uh, to do. So, so make plans to be here for that uh, next Sunday. So we're, uh, we're in our sermon series that we've entitled Meet Jesus, uh, where we're looking at various stories in the earliest part of Jesus's ministry. Uh, to last Sunday, we arrived in, in Luke chapter six, uh, which is Luke's version of the, ser- the, the, the the really famous sermon. Sermon on the Mount is Matthew's version. Luke's version is referred to and known as the Sermon on the Plain, uh, partly because uh, Luke says that Jesus came down and stood on a level place, and so people refer to this as the Sermon on the Plain. And we spent last Sunday in this sermon. We're going to spend today and even a couple of other Sundays in this sermon as we think about these words, Luke really jams everything together. Matthew's Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's this long, he gives kind of the whole detail of all the, you know, it's a really long, it's the sermon, a kind of sermon I really like. It's long and it's detailed and you like this kind of sermon. It's compact. He, Luke jams everything into like a half a chapter that Matthew takes three chapters to tell. And so... Um, so Matt, Luke, we're in that sermon right now, looking at this, the, the content that, that Jesus teaches. And uh, this morning's words are, are challenging, and they are uh, they're really, in many ways, they're, they're, I think, some of the most difficult words that Jesus speaks uh, in Scripture. And so I want to ask uh, that you'll pray with me as we start, as we jump into this story, this, this sermon this morning. And uh, we're going to ask God to, uh, to be with us as we do that. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the chance to gather here together this morning. We are grateful for uh, the time we've been able to 
to spend with you around the table and receive from you uh, the gift of bread and wine, which to us represents something more significant than bread and wine. It's your body and blood that you gave for us, that you've invited us to the table, you've given us a seat at the table, and we are grateful for that. Uh, We pray to God today that as we study uh, this story, this sermon in Luke 6, that you'll give us hearts that are open to receive and to hear. That I pray this morning, especially God, I, I, I imagine that as we talk about uh, really the hardest kind of love, love of enemy, love of people who have wronged us, who have mistreated us, who have hurt us, I know that there are in this room faces and names of people who will come up that will stir up in our hearts. And I pray we will not run from that, that we will uh, allow your Holy Spirit to meet us there in our heart and to do the work that you intend to do. And I pray that today will be a day that that many of us, some of us will see uh, you begin to transform our heart. Uh, Even if it's a small step, I pray that you'll help us in that way because we want to be more like Christ And we see that he embodied and embraced this kind of love that he calls us to. I pray that you'll help us as we learn to do it ourselves. We pray through the all-powerful name of Jesus Christ and the church said, amen. So Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27. Jesus, we're jumping into the middle of this sermon. Jesus continues by saying, But to you who are listening, I say, Love your enemies. Now, it's important to notice there's a difference between hearing and listening, right? So Jesus wants you to notice. He's standing here among these people. Again, Matthew's version of the Sermon on the Mount is uh, preached really to to the disciples. Luke has this sermon located in a crowd. So there are people that are not just the disciples that are standing nearby. So it's, it's like Jesus wants everybody to be sure and Acknowledge that these words are about to be difficult. If you have ears to hear them, hear what he has to say. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them, and if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend, To those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And we pray, Lord, come. Come into our lives today. If there is a single passage of Scripture, I think, that that summarizes the heart of God the most, it is this passage. 
You, you can take Matthew's version, Luke's version, uh, some other places in Scripture that kind of piece this idea together. It doesn't matter. I think the idea is, that, is, is what I'm conveying. And I think this, this idea, I think, summarizes the heart of God maybe more than any other idea in Scripture that we know about God. It's the most distinctive. It's the most countercultural. It's the most central aspect, I believe, of the kingdom And yet, it is the most challenging. Because it goes against our our natural default behavior, right? It also is possibly one aspect of Jesus' teaching that I think has been the most minimized throughout history, even ignored throughout history, even to this day. Jesus paints a picture with these words of really the most absurd unexplainable generosity that you have ever witnessed. Love your enemies and be good to them. Without qualification, Jesus says. People have tried to find an exception through the years, but there is no exception. There is no, but what about them? Or surely not that person, right God? In fact, in the Jewish first century world where this was originally spoken, I think the first thing that people would have thought about would have been Romans. When Jesus talks about loving your enemies, I think the first thing people would have thought about was Romans. Rome had conquered and is now occupying. At the time of Jesus speaking these words, they had conquered and are now occupying Israel. So most Jews, when they think of enemies, they're going to think of Romans first. So just to give you a picture, because we don't, you know, when I say Rome had, you know, conquered and was occupying Israel, we understand that in theory, in, you know, with the idea. But to give us a picture, a clearer picture, when you think of Romans, think of what you think of when you think of a modern-day terrorist, because that's what Romans were. They ruled with terror, with might, with fear, right? And the difference is that Rome, Rome was already ruling over them. So it would be like not only the threat of ISIS, it would be like ISIS ruling over America and living here and, and, and dominating the scene, overtaking the government. Everything, you know, every, they are the ruler. That's the culture that, that now these, Christ, these Jewish people who are about to become Christians later are living in, this, this environment and if that, if, if, if that, hopefully that helps you kind of get a sense about the way that I think they would have felt because for most of us, we think, oh no, right? If, if that was the context in, into which Jesus was speaking this message to us today, I think it would hear our ears, it would land on our ears a little differently. And it is the context into which Jesus is speaking today and to them at that point. So Jesus says, love this enemy, the worst kind of enemy. And of course, the thing is, right, the reason that's important that we imagine it, it might not be the thing that most concerns or worries you today or even worried them at that point. They might have had a neighbor that was really annoying and that was bothering them or a family conflict that was, they were struggling with. But the point is that if, if you have to love the worst kind of enemy, then you also have to, it's assumed Everyone else falls under that same umbrella. Who's left not to love? And the answer is no one. No one is left 
to not love, which means there are no loopholes. There are no exceptions. There is no wiggle room. And I think this sheds light on why Jesus says, if thinking about the context that Jesus is speaking this into, this sheds light on why Jesus says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. He was most likely referring to the practice of a Roman soldier, a Roman guard that they would have used back then with their right hand to slap you know, the, cheek, the cheek of a Jewish subject, a subordinate. And then, and that, that would, if that wasn't enough, like an insulting slap would have been to backhand them too. So if somebody slaps you and then they slap you again, Jesus is in, just, he's suggesting, he's, he's telling us that's the kind of way that we're supposed to treat these people. Respond to such a strike by offering the left cheek and, and the, the reason that you would do this, Jesus is saying, is that it's a way to defiantly rise up against the intended humiliation as if to say, you're going to have to do more than that. Even that is not going to make me not love you. This is the hardest kind of love. Can I get a, any amen? It, it, I mean, you, you, you feel the tension of these words, don't you? And for Jesus, the why behind, you, you know, why he would suggest, teach, command that this is something that he wants his followers to do, it really isn't a suggestion, so I need to stop using that word. The why is, is rooted in the character of God. Why would you do this? Why would they do this? Why would you love the nastiest enemy that you can imagine? And everyone else too. And for Jesus, the reason your why is rooted in the character of God. You would do this. They will do this because God does this. God does not discriminate. God's love is indiscriminate. God's love is incredibly generous. God is kind to people that are not kind to God. God's love extends to, and His care extends to people that don't even acknowledge that He is their God, that they are made in His image. Though everyone on the planet and that has lived, is living or has ever lived, is made in the image of God, not all acknowledge that they are made in the image of God, and God is kind and caring even to them. Matthew says it this way in Matthew chapter 5. He says, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. There is no, with God, there is no you get rain and you don't. There is no you get sunshine and you don't. God's care and love extends to everyone regardless of their thoughts about God. I just want you to let that sink in for a minute. God's love and care extends to everyone, regardless of their thoughts about God. No matter what they think, without exception, this is the way that God operates. This is, a, this is why we now understand as we think about these words that they are radical. They are incredibly radical. It's what makes Christianity radical. And this is honestly, for me, church, this is, the, this, 
idea is one of the reasons. I have quite a few that I am, I am so fascinated by Jesus Christ. I am in love with Jesus Christ because he calls me and you to do something that is not our natural way of operating. And he wants a better way for us if we'll just step into it. If we'll believe that it's the best way and it will require in order to believe that letting go of some stuff in our own lives and hearts. I'm so fascinated with Christ because he does the thing that no one else really wants to do, honestly. See, the thing is, you, you, naturally, you naturally love people that love you. You like people that like you. But Jesus says, where is the power in that? There's nothing special in that. Everybody does that. But you want to talk about changing Kaufman County? You want to talk about changing the world? You want to talk about just changing your family? Love people that don't love you. Love people that have hurt you. Love people that have mistreated you. You want your heart to be changed? Jesus says, pray. Pray for the person that mistreated you. This this teaching is rooted in the character of God, but our response is also rooted in the character of God. So that means that love of enemy is not just a good idea. Jesus says that this behavior, love of enemy, is the defining mark of a kingdom person. But love your enemies, do good to them, and love, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And you notice what he says? Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. This is the hard, I think this is the hardest part. Like Jesus emphasizes this action on our part is the condition for our receiving a reward and becoming children of the Most High. That word then, to me, stands out prominently in verse 35. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. It's almost like it's conditional to being, you know, to us receiving some sort of eternal reward. Conditional to be called, being called children of God. Because Jesus knows this is not our natural behavioral pattern. Something is going to have to change. Something's going to have to motivate us to move to that place. Which means that how willing we are, how willing are we to go against our nature and love and serve our enemies rather than resort to violence against them or anger towards them or hatred of them. And and I believe that how willing we are, honestly, church, is the telltale sign that we are participants in the kingdom of God. And that's hard to say, but I honestly believe that it is the case. I I think that it it doesn't mean we're going to do it perfectly. It doesn't mean that we're going to get there overnight. But I, I realize we're all on a journey But our ability and motivation will not come from us. If your ability or motivation to do this comes from you, you will fail at it. I will fail at it. We do because God does. Because God does this, Jesus says we are to do the same. Children resemble their parents, sometimes in looks, sometimes in behavior, in attitude, mannerisms, maybe interests. And Jesus says... 
we are to reflect our Father's character in this way. We're to reflect the character of God in this way and act toward people in the way that God has acted toward us. And Jesus teaches here to to his disciples and those that are standing nearby just how serious he is about this. And that he, he shows us how serious he is by going to the cross himself. As Stuart reminded us beautifully in communion together in inviting us to the table and saying, look, this chair is yours. Yeah, I know you've mistreated me. Yeah, I know you've, you've been upset with me. You denied me. You've, you've, you know, maybe you've, you've said some things. You haven't always been kind to God, but here's your chair. It's at it's, it's his, his table always. It's always available for you whenever you're ready to sit down. I'll be here. That's the invitation that God extends to us. That Jesus shows us just how serious he was by going all the way to the cross. This is, this this picture of Christ on the cross is the radical, often indescribable beauty that saved the world from killing itself. You slapped Jesus in the face. You stabbed him with a sword. You shot him with your gun and he loved you still. He has nothing but love in response toward you. He has nothing but love in response toward the world that many don't acknowledge him at all. Christ on the cross is the picture that I want you to, you know, to want to stick in your mind as we think about what what does it look like to, to love this way? Christ at the table, pulling up a chair with you, sitting in it, welcoming you to, into his presence is the picture that I want you to imagine as you picture what this looks like to extend this kind of love to someone. I want to share a quote that says this, just talking about this idea of the cross. In the ugliest place of human existence, the crucifixion and death, what God did was reveal himself as absolute, total, self-giving love, being disguised under the disfigurement of an ugly crucifixion and death, Christ on the cross is paradoxically the clearest revelation of who God is. What does that mean? It means that Christ on the cross is the clearest picture that you and I will ever have of what it looks like for someone to love their friends, and their enemies. Because, see, the thing is, lots of people died on crosses. Jesus wasn't unique in that regard. Lots of people died on crosses. And in fact, I I think that Jesus' death on the cross, for people who were there and people who still to this day, Jesus' death on a cross probably just seemed like any other crucifixion. Ah, there's the Romans doing what they do, killing Jews who misbehave. So it looked simply like another crucifixion, But there was more going on on the cross. And in fact, it's this picture of Christ on the cross, I think, that makes our God unique, that makes our God different. That God is is proving once and for all, as Jesus hangs on the cross, that he is not an angry old tyrant that sits on a cloud in the heavens somewhere with a lightning bolt in his hand ready to strike you down when you make a mistake. If that is your picture of God, then hate 
is still allowed to be harbored in your heart because our God is not like that. Our God hung on a cross because that is how much he loved his enemies. Our God is is the God that stretched out his arms. Our God is the God that came first to be with us. And when he came, he conveyed his love for us through what he taught and the way he lived and the way he interacted with people. When they struck him on the cheek and ripped the, the coat and the shirt off his back, he went on loving and forgiving them as if they hadn't done it. When he was accused falsely, he did not speak. Church, this, this is who you are. This is your identity. See, I think sometimes as we think about anger, frustration, hate that we have toward people in our lives who have hurt us, wronged us, mistreated us, we can, we can get to the place where we, we get so consumed with that 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 becomes our identity. It's, it's all we think about. It, it, like I said, it's consuming. And I think Christ wants us to know that the truth is, is that that is not who we are. Who we are is a person that's made in the image of God that is capable of extending radical countercultural love to others in the way that Christ extended that to you and to me. This is the identity of your Father God and your brother Jesus, and this is who you are. You may feel otherwise this morning. You may feel like this isn't possible. You don't know, Doug, what's happened to me, how much I've been hurt. And that's true, I may not. But I know that it's possible. Even if you can't see it today, I know that it's possible through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. Nothing that I will say or even the strength you can muster will make it happen, but the Holy Spirit can. And this morning, to, to apply this, because it'd be easy to talk about it and then we leave and we go on, to apply it, I actually want you to not let the, the name, face, image of the person who you are thinking of, that you've been trying to keep out of your mind this entire sermon, I want you to let it in for just a minute. However you need to imagine them for just a minute. Maybe it's a friend, someone that's hard to love. Maybe it's a family member, a child, a spouse, a parent, a boss, a coworker, a politician. Maybe you're angry at God. And maybe you think that whatever you're going through is God's fault and you kind of see him as an enemy. Maybe somebody that you wouldn't say you hate, because I think that's another argument we make. That's kind of one of the ways we minimize this, this teaching of Jesus. Well, I don't really hate anybody. I mean, I have some people I don't really like that much. You know, I want you to think of them. If that's, if that's where you are, I want you to think of them. Because there are no loopholes, remember? There are no exceptions. Every person has indescribable worth because they are made in the image of God. Every person. And they are, not, they are able to re- be redeemed through the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody that irritates you, has spoken negatively about you, something that you're holding on to and that you've been holding on to for a long time, even if you can't see it today. Again, whoever it is that you have in mind has unsurpassable worth because they were made in the image of God. So I want you to think about them. And now, for just a minute, I want you to think about God. And I want you to think about the qualities of God that are just mentioned in this sermon. Love, 
abundantly gracious, abundantly generous, kind, merciful, forgiving. When we see the way we think about these people and we see the way that God thinks about us and them, what I wonder is this morning, because again, I don't, I'm not naive. I don't think that it's going to happen overnight. It's not going to be, uh, it might, most likely it's probably not. It's going to be a journey. Many of you have already been on that journey a long time, working to forgive, to extend. Love is really not, doesn't seem possible today, but you know, you might could take, you might could imagine something. This is what I want you to do as you think about applying this teaching. Love of that person will start by taking one step toward the final result. And I don't know what your one step is. So the application is really on you this morning. You have to decide what, what's your one step. What's one step you can take in this direction instead of running from it and moving the opposite direction? And as you think about taking that one step, I want you to imagine, even if it's hard for you, I want you to try to imagine how much God loves that person. And then, because you can't do it on your own and I can't do it on my own, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now, just in your mind, to, to help you take one step toward loving them. Prayer, Jesus says, would be a great place to start. Praying for people who mistreat you. Because what happens, church, when we pray for people who have mistreated us is that seeds of the Spirit become sown in our hearts instead of seeds from the evil one. Because God is occupying our mind and our heart as we pray. And we're thinking, we're interacting with, with, with God, the creator of the world. And so God is going to be at work in us. See, a lot of times we think when we pray, we're praying for them. But what's really happening is that God is transforming us. And so Jesus says, pray. Start by praying. Maybe that's your step. I don't know. Can we trust God enough this morning to help us move toward love of them? This is an identifying mark of a child of God who you are, your identity as a follower of Jesus. Jesus says, this, you're, you're capable of this. And this is what it will look like. I mean, just imagine how the world, how much the world would be changed if Christians said, you know what, I am no longer going to minimize this teaching. I'm no longer going to ignore this teaching. I'm no longer going to pass over it and move on to other easier teachings that Jesus offers. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to try. I'm going to take a step. I'm going to surrender my heart to God and allow the Holy Spirit to help me move one, one step, slowly at a time if need be. You're capable of it because of the power of God at work in you. It's who you are. You're full of mercy, like your Father God. I would love to shock people. You know, I imagine Christians embracing this idea living it out, and people start noticing. That's, that's what happened. People start gathering around Jesus. Well, I think one of the reasons people, crowds kept gathering around Jesus is because they couldn't believe that he was actually trying to do what he was saying, right? And Luke is really good at the ways that he lays out in his gospel, Jesus interacting with people who were, they weren't friends. They might not have been full-blown enemies, but they definitely were not friends. And Jesus loves them over and over and over again. It was shocking to people. Who is this guy? What in the world is going on? Something is different about his teaching, right? You've read the Gospels. You hear those kinds of phrases 
pop up. They're amazed at his teaching. Why? Because they see his life and his teaching beginning to align, and that's what Christ wants for us. You are capable. This is an identifying mark of who you are. You are full of mercy like your Father God. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, and I know that this is is hard. I, I have people in my mind and heart that I'm thinking of, and I know others do as well, and we want to imagine uh, your love of them. We want to imagine ourselves loving them, and for some, that's going to be a really hard and long journey, and for others, it might be quicker and shorter, but wherever we are on that process, God, we need your help because we can't do it on our own. We know we can't muster up enough uh, strength on our own to make it happen. So I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit at work in the lives of the people in this room and those who will hear this message later, God, that you will take over, that you will do a spiritual work in us that we've been trying to physically accomplish for too long. That you'll help us as we pursue this kind of life because we really believe that it is the beauty that will change the world. As the world begins to see, as people begin to see us behaving in a way that is unexpected, quite honestly, that is different than what they feel like they deserved. And it may not ever require us talking to someone again or looking them in the eye again or anything like I don't know how it will play out because I know it's different for everyone in this room, but I know that all of us have people whom we imagine And I pray today that you'll help us as we listen to your voice in taking a step toward your desire for us in this way. We love you. We love each other. We want to love those who have mistreated us, hurt us, whom we consider enemies. We pray that you'll make it so. You'll help us to believe uh, in our identity, our true identity as, as one of your children. And, and that know that we're capable of this through the power that's at work in us. We love you, God, and we're grateful again this morning. I pray that you'll help us as we embark upon this next week, that you'll help us as we pursue this calling. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning we want to provide a time to respond as we do each Sunday. It may be that you want to do that in a public way. Uh, and I'll be down front. If you want to do that, there'll be an elder in the back. Uh, Maybe you want to find somebody around you and say, man, I I got somebody in mind, but 